So we're talking about ecclesia, right? Community, unity, and love. The truest understanding of the church. And so as we continue to look at how we live out this community that Christ has called us to, I want to remind us that it's not only about our community here on Sundays or doing life groups or doing special events, but it should be embedded in our very core, this idea of the ecclesia. So that it flows out naturally. And we can demonstrate true community, unity, and love throughout our lives and beyond these walls. So there's this thing in the software world called community code, okay? And with community code, it's actually a license that anyone can use it. And so there's this interesting and really fascinating software community um, where you've also heard the term open source. And so what it is, and it's, and it's worldwide. Okay, there are developers all over the world. Someone builds a piece of software, a piece of technology, and a bunch of the other people contribute to it. Like they're adding to it to make it better. Other people notice a problem and they fix it. And so you have this group of people all over the world on this one piece of software that they're trying to just make better. And so the whole purpose of this is that, is that everyone just shares their, their code. And it's really interesting because it's like the scientific community, okay? It's just everyone is just sharing what they have learned. They're contributing to it. They're trying to make it better. They share it so that others can use it, so that things can just be better. It's, it's, it's a really fascinating thing to me because as people giving away their intellectual property for the betterment of technology. Because for people, they just want to make the world a better place. And so there's very little software you use in your pockets, on your computer, anywhere that doesn't have open source code. There's very little things you do, no matter how much corporations are making off this software, so much of it has been contributed by a a group of people who just want to see things better. You know what I'm saying? And so I just, I find that community really, really interesting because it's like, it's this sense that by working together, by helping out each other, we can make things we can make things better. And so it's something I've always appreciated, and I think it's something that um, we can do as we kind of continue to give up and share with one another so that we can be better as a community and can be better as a city. Um, let's look at Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Thank you, Scott. All right. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So this is a a really powerful scripture. Um, So we start off, it says, let us us not give up meeting together. So what was happening is the church is enduring a lot of intense persecution, right? And so people are afraid to go to church now because they don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to be uh, imprisoned or, 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 or flogged or, or killed. And, and so the author here has the audacity to say, keep meeting together. And so that's really interesting how that applies for us today because it's in our difficulties, in the business of life, in the strains of life, that it's easy for us to stop meeting together. And if Christ is asking us to meet together in the middle of all that, there must be something that happens in the act of coming together, especially when things 
make it very difficult to come together. You know what I'm saying? And so this is something that we should kind of continue to remain in the back of our thoughts. We need to keep meeting no matter what. It says we should also stir each other up to love and good works, to encourage one another. Now, like that, I like that word that kind of spurs, like you're stirring each other up to love and good works. You're encouraging each other. And what's, what's interesting is that they, uh, they use very general terms here, love and good works. Like, what does that mean? Well, I think they left it general and vague on purpose because it's about encouraging each other and, and stirring each other up to be who we're called to be. And so... I think we're going to, we're, so we're going we're gonna to dive into that a little bit today. What does it mean to encourage? When God is saying to encourage each other here, what is he talking about? What is the scripture telling us when it says to stir up one another in love? So this meaning encourage has a couple different meanings. It means to be comforting, but it's also an urging. To encourage is an invitation, but it's also a request. The community that doesn't stop meeting together, especially in the face of difficulty, has an opportunity to see significant change in their lives and to make an impact in the world around them. Today, we're going to talk about how that plays out. So our purpose as the ecclesia is to reveal the true nature of God. That's why we're here. See, there's a lot of, there's a song by Danny Gokey, uh, and, and he talks about it. It's like, you know, there's, there's this, there's this uh, picture in the world of who God is. And it's often a false picture. Our job, our purpose, is to reveal the true nature of God. That's what Jesus did. That's, you see in Scripture, Jesus revealed the full character of who God is, his nature. That nature that is everything that is good and whole and complete. A nature that loves mercy and pours out grace. It seems to be a tall order to deliver. But it's a wonderful journey to take and worth every step if we choose to walk in it. Now, as we're talking about the church community and, and church life, we can also think about like our day-to-day, right? And it can seem like two different worlds. That is the church community. And, and so I, I wonder, though, if we didn't separate kind of our church community and our church life and our day-to-day, what if we were able to reveal the true nature of God and our just regular day-to-day and just our comings and our goings? What if, it, what, what if this wasn't like this ordinary once-in-a-lifetime event where we have, like, this amazing experience and we show others that experience and it doesn't happen again, like a solar eclipse, you know? What if it was just normal? It was just regular. It just flowed out of us. That's what we're looking at today. And it can be that, and I've seen that, and we can become that more and more. We talked a few weeks ago about individuality and community. If you recall, there are two forces conflicting in us. On one side is the desire for togetherness. On the other side is the drive for individuality. And look, we all suffer from it, right? Like, ain't nobody, ain't nobody, especially me, I'm an introvert. I could be alone with a book and my computer for hours and not talk to a soul. It's like Christmas. (laughs) We want the life-affirming benefits of what a community brings but we often don't want to make the sacrifice required, the sacrifice is required to be in a loving community because we want to be individuals. The thing is, when we focus on our individual needs, we work towards fulfilling that need, often at all costs. 
and we become constantly anxious that we're not getting what we need and work and, uh, and do everything to find it. And so whether that's, that, that's finances, social engagement, our own care, when we're focused on our individual needs, it creates this consistent anxiety. I mean, that's just that's what a neurosis is. It's just like it's this constant anxiety. When we focus on creating a thriving community, all of a sudden, we're not constantly worried about getting what we need because as the community thrives and we play our part in that, so do we as individuals thrive. Did you catch that? If we focus on the community and creating a thriving community and being part of a thriving community, we don't have to worry about our individual needs because as the community thrives, so do we as individuals thrive. There's a stark difference. But as we make that change, it's just a joy to walk into. All right, let's look at Mark 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want, you, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. That's a bold request. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the, bapti- with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Okay, so let me just explain what's happening right quick. James and John, they're disciples, right? They're following Jesus. And so at this point, they know, oh, yeah, you're actually the Messiah and you're the Son of God. Cool. Listen, we want to sit at your left and right hand, this place of honor. And Jesus, when he says, like, are you ready to drink the cup I'm going to drink from? It's like, it's a Hebrew idiom, basically. Are you ready to go through what I'm about to go through? them not knowing what he was about to go through. They're like, yeah, we can go through it. And, and they actually did. But the point is, what they were trying to do here is they wanted to be at his left and right hand, which culturally it's like we, we are, we're up here. We have a high status. So let's continue on. When the 10, the other disciples, heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is, just, this is an interesting passage to me. Within the community of disciples, we have two of them that are seeking their personal status, seeking their own needs. Jesus follows up this with saying, if you want that place, that status, it ends with great sacrifice. It requires great sacrifice. He ends saying, okay, if you want to be the greatest, you have to serve. You have to become the least. You have to take on the lower status. And so this, this, this class, this status that Jesus is talking about, he's not actually instituting kind of a, a class. And even in Jewish law, there wasn't like a class system, but because of the culture they deem certain things higher and certain things lower. So in our culture, do we have a class system? Not officially, not technically, but we definitely have a class system, right? There are things we deem to be more valuable and things we deem to be less valuable. And what's Jesus saying here? If you want to be great in the kingdom, 
You have to serve one another in your community, doing the things that we deem less valuable. So I just, you know, this is, this is an interesting call from, from Jesus as, as to what the community looks like. You guys ever see those movies that are like, um, like B-movies, and they have like these big stars in them? You're like, how did they get there? Like, how did they get like, that's, that's ridiculous. Well, often, actors and actresses will do a lot of those movies and take a huge pay cut, a huge pay cut, because they care about the movie. They care about the story. There's something in there. They're like, hey, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of telling this story. And they're willing to sacrifice something to do that. I want to be a part of telling God's story. And I want us to be able to continue to learn how to sacrifice, to be a part of telling God's story. So a big way we can do this is by building and encouraging community. This is such a big thing in scripture that it can help us create a group that not only looks out for each other, but helps each other grow into the fullness of who we are called to be. The first step of encouragement is what many of us would normally identify as encouraging, to lift up, to love, to give hope. The second step is something called admonishment. Now, we see this word in scripture, and for many, it's often used negatively. Uh, but what this word means is to watch out for, to give someone caution. It's like, hey, man, you probably don't want to go down that road. It's, it, it, can, it can mess you up. That's what admonishment is, just looking out for each other. From here, the last step is we hold each other to the commitments we have made. Now, this order is very important. See, we tend to want to hold people accountable without doing that first step without loving them, without looking out for them, without caring for them. But if we're not encouraging each other first through love and hope and joy and sacrifice, then the rest doesn't matter. Loving each other, raising up someone's spirits, that's the primary goal, and then we move towards challenging each other. Even then, that challenge is about love because we're not trying to make someone good enough, it's because we love them that we challenge them to rise up to the calling of Christ on their life. There's a difference there. You don't challenge someone because you're trying to fix them. It's because of your deep love for them that you want to see everything that they can be. So let's break out these steps a little bit, okay? First, we need to remind each other of who we are in Christ, Okay? I talked about this in my equip class, but I'm going to bring it up again now. We have, to, we, we have this idea and this identity that, that has kind of caught on recently, and recently me in the last couple of years, um, that I'm, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. When you have that identity, when you're just like, oh, I'm just a sinner, all you do is focus on sin. We have to shift this identity to, I'm God's creation, loved and adored. I'm holy, but I'm also broken. There's a big difference there. We see in scripture that we are adopted. We are children of a God who loves extravagantly. In this step of encouraging, we remind each other that our worth is found not in what we do, not in what we do, but as loved ones. Love so much that we were worth dying for. 
That's the reminder we need to give each other. That's the encouragement we have to pull out of each other. Like, hey, you were worth dying for. You are a daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are. Not, not, not because of what you can do for me or what you can do for the community or what you can, how good you are with these skills or that skills. No, that does not determine your worth. Your worth is because you're God's creation. Paul talks about our new creation, that in Christ we are made new. One of my favorite lines, we are God's handiwork. As someone who likes to like, create things, like, you care about that thing you create. And it's just like, as I think about that, like, man, I am God's handiwork. Psalm says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm says that God considers me. Like, think about that. The God who created this world, this universe, and everything in it thinks about me. So that, that, that must mean I'm, I'm worth something, right? That's the reminder. That's how we encourage. We start there. We are holy, yet broken. That's a far cry from a sinner saved by grace. Anybody here have a record player? Or used to have a record player? I know, right? I got one too. That's like, I grew up with some of the records, so I'm saying. So I got this Nina Simone record. If you don't know who Nina Simone is, go home later, Google it, um, and you're gonna be really happy that you did that. So I'm listening to Nina Simone record, and it's just, it's just so good. Like, just, just so good. And the thing is that this is an old record. Like, this wasn't like a remastered, you know, like last year. This is an old record. And most records that you listen to, they have these defects, okay? From the needle, from dust, from all these different things, these records have defects. But it's this character in it that just makes it so good and adds a life that just you can't find anywhere else. Those defects are not what make it bad. We're broken, many of us, from, from trauma and abuse. Some more, some less, but broken nonetheless. There's so much shame that comes from this. Most of the sin we walk in is out of the parts of us that are broken. But the reality is we are good. We are whole. We are being made whole, and we can be made whole. Just like that record that has blemishes and defects that is still so good, we have blemishes and defects, but we are holy because Christ made it so. This is why we must remind each other of this first. We can't come back to this place later. We have to start here. You know, in the 90s, when computer technology started coming out um, and and music production, um, there, there was a shift from making records to making CDs. And so we had this digital format that was supposed to be perfect because it didn't have all those defects. And so it was a man-made approach to, be, to fix something and made it, make it perfect. What the music industry soon found out was, man, this sounds like crap. <laughs> and so in the 2000s, more and more technology came out to make music have those same defects that records did. 
because there is something so pure in the original. It's not about fixing us. It's not about making us perfect. It's about letting Christ be formed in us. So how do you identify yourself? I want you to think about that. How how does that identity line up with what we've talked about? Often others in our lives, usually growing up and later, have broken the true identity of who we are. And it's not necessarily their fault. It's just the fallen world we live in. So the question you have to ask yourself is, how do I begin to re-identify myself? You know, that's something that I constantly need from, from, from my community of friends and mentors around me. The first thing they do, they pour into me, and they remind me who I am in Christ. Because there are days when I feel so low and so worthless. And I need to be reminded of that. Okay, next step of encouragement is to show each other who we can be. As we encourage each other in this way, we're walking with one another to help reflect the glory of Christ, which is already there. It already exists. We're not trying to put something there or fix someone. We just pull out and reflect what is already present. Through this type of encouragement and with teaching and training, we are able to also watch over one another. Keep a lookout for each other. Remember, that's what admonishment is. Simply watching each other with love because we love each other. I have people constantly in my life helping me to see the potential pitfalls or direction that could end up being painful or destructive. That's what admonishment is. It's like, hey, you may not want to do that because I did that and it was painful. It's not judgment. It's looking out. What we see in the letters, and it's hard because we can often focus on like the things we have to like do better, what we see in the letters are opportunities, not laws. Paul didn't like, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, these aren't laws that he laid out. They're just opportunities to be more like Christ. And he's trying to pull out of this particular church what's already in there. It's an opportunity to be who we're called to be. It becomes what we naturally do. And it's not forced because out of the love and watching over, we transform and start to move in a way that isn't forced but welcome to our nature. We do the things that we're called to do because it just comes out of us naturally. And we do this by expanding our comfort zone. There's some tension at first. We do this by doing the things we wouldn't do otherwise. And that's what friends do, right? That's what family does. Like, like say, hey, you haven't thought about this or you haven't tried this yet, but, but you should try this. And it's uncomfortable. And there's tension. But as we allow that tension to develop for a little while, we then transition into a new way of living. And it just becomes awesome. And those things that you've been wanting to do, that you've been wanting to be, just happen naturally. If you, if you ever, it seems someone says this every year, but when, especially when you're watching college football, you know, they see just a super fast um, running back receiver, returner, that you can't teach speed, or you can't teach that speed. You ever heard that phrase? So in, in strength and conditioning, you know, it's like you try to make people stronger and faster, but the best coaches, you actually can't teach 
someone who can run a 4140. <laughs> like, it's just, you can't teach that. What you do, it, it's either there or it's not. And so the best coaches, not like the abusive and controlling ones, the best coaches train and teach and pull out of that athlete what already exists. Not trying to make something there that's not there. See, we have this idea that we got to, like, just, like, shove stuff down people and, and, like, and make them better. And we do that for ourselves as well, right? Like, oh, man, I got to, uh, l- let, me, let me read more so I can, I can learn more and I can be better. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's already there. Let me show you how to pull it out. From here, we need to have the courage to hold each other true to our new identity. And we must do this in love. Otherwise, don't do it at all. We have to be able to hold each other true to our identity, to what we have committed to in love. And if you can't do it in love, then just don't do it. You care about someone, and this, look, this could be hard for some people because, you know, for some people, you, you care about someone so you don't want to say something to hurt them or potentially damage your relationship. But our love for them mandates us to say something. For others, it's hard to hold someone to commitment without first loving them. We want to hold people accountable without being willing to invest our lives to love them. We can't have either extreme. We have to be able to accept and love first and most, and then the rest will come. The question we need to continually ask ourselves is, am I calling my friend or or family member or whoever, am I calling them in or calling them out? Am I raising her up or putting her down? So what's the difference between calling and call out? When you call someone out, it's pretty obvious, right? And it's, off, and it's often pretty harsh. When you're calling someone in, you're saying, hey, man, I know you've been struggling with this. Maybe we should talk about why, why, why that's going on. We should look at how, how, remember what you told me? You said you want to do this better. So how can we do that? How can we walk together in that? Not, hey, man, you suck. You've been messing up. You got to do better. That's my band teacher in high school used to say, play better. Like, okay, can you tell me how? (laughs) (laughs) To call in says, I'm going to walk with you there. I'm going to go with you in the depths. I'm going to be there with you. And I'm going to hold you to your identity. Too often we have these bouncing communities. We live in this mentality that if you do and say and believe exactly as I do, then we can be in community together. Otherwise, you don't belong here. Now, look, it's never actually said that bluntly, right? But it's still communicated that way. If you've ever been on the outside, which I'm sure at some point you have, it's never like said that way, but you feel it, right? We don't want to be that. Because this often leads to very controlling and abusive environments where we can't thrive. When growth is mandated and not nurtured, that growth won't last long. Okay? That's what we want to do. We want to to mandate growth. We want to force it. But when it is mandated and not nurtured, you'll see it. You will see growth, growth, but it will go away. 
I mean, it's like a plant, right? You're watering a plant, you're feeding a plant, you're nurturing a plant. You, no matter what you do, you cannot force that plant to grow. If you do, what's going to happen? You're going to kill it, right? And when we force each other to do the thing, it kills the soul. And I want a community of thriving souls. Let's look at um, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. Hopefully I have time for this. If I, sp- oh, there we go. if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, that, that last part is often used in weddings, right? And it's very applicable there. But the context here that Paul is giving is the ecclesia. That's who he's talking about. And it's because of this that we get to become everything that Jesus has already made us. Everything that is good and holy. Have y'all ever seen Liar, Liar? One of my favorite movies. I mean, it's just it's so good. And... Um, there's this, so if you don't know what Liar Liar is, um, it's with Jim Carrey, and he's a lawyer, and basically, um, hey, did we get the video in? Okay. Um, basically, uh, um, his son makes a birthday wish that he can't lie. And so he's just now figuring this out, and uh, I, I want to show this clip. Can you play it? Oh, we don't need that part. Okay, all right, come on, let's, let's get to it.
Sorry, that part was supposed to be edited out. Hope you weren't offended. Um, this is what happens. It's like, the reason why I love that scene is because when you're trying to force something to be something that's not already there, it just doesn't work. And it just hurts. And so instead of, 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 of trying to pull that out, of, of trying, to, trying to force something that we're not, let's just be who we already are. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay. Let's change the story from trying to be good enough and make others good enough to unbroken but holy. I'm being made whole, and we're doing it together, and no one is exempt. As we live like this together, we become a lighthouse, a place where people can discover the true character of God as kind, compassionate, and a love without boundaries that creates a wholeness unlike anything else. As we do this together, we become a place corporately where one, find God, where one finds God in you individually. As we do this together, we become a place corporately where one finds God in you individually. We help each other find freedom and live out our purpose. Let's look at some practical tips. So I'm going to repeat a question that I asked earlier. How do you identify yourself? How does that line up with what we talked about? Often, others in our lives have broken our true identity. How can you begin to re-identify yourself? Okay, number two. Do you call people in or call people out? Are you hesitant to hold someone you love to their true identity out of fear? Or do you value accountability before love? It's going to take some, like, serious reflecting here. And number three, the most important, answer these questions honestly. Take some time and choose someone or a group to share your answers with. And together, begin to encourage each other as we have discussed. Love first and always. Help realize potential. Call in. Keep true to identity. You're going to have to start with someone you trust, someone you can be vulnerable with, and you both or your group will need to be in a safe place to be able to be real. That's the only way this happens. It can't be surface. It's more than transparency. It's vulnerability. It's, it's, it's giving someone else the power to hurt you. That's what it takes. And there should never, ever, ever be judgment or condemnation. If there is, start over. And even if it wasn't intended, you have to be in a safe place enough to say, hey, man, I actually felt really condemned by what you said. You got to be able to have that honest conversation. This is how we encourage each other. This is how we build each other up. This is how we stir each other up to love 
and good works so that we can reflect the true nature of God.